Well, good morning to you all. It is a joy and privilege to be here in worship with you today. And for those of you who may be first-time guests with us this morning, I'm Dan Meyer, one of the pastors here. And we have been involved in a multi-week study of the book of Acts. Uh, This has been an attempt to uh, look at some snapshots of the life of the early church in the hope that by seeing how they made themselves open to the work of God, we might uh, gain some pointers ourselves for what it means to really be God's church, uh, the disciples of Jesus for our particular time. And I will say that we have not been able to do justice to all that is in the book of Acts. Uh, Some years ago, I did a series called Jesus People that uh, was a much more in-depth and uh, a full-bodied attempt to look at the story of Acts. You can find that through our church's media library in the archive section if you're curious to know a bit more about this wonderful book. But we have been able to look at some really important principles and, and I think seen the practice of the church in a way that has been inspiring, encouraging, and challenging to us in our time. And we're going to close out the series of reflections on the book Uh, by looking together at one section of the 11th chapter of Acts that I think is particularly helpful in summarizing, in a way, some of the most important distinctives of the life of the early church. So let me take you to Acts chapter 11 at verse 19 and invite you to listen as a read from the Word of God. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas, one of their core leaders, to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. In other words, he was saying, great things are happening. Stay true. Keep going with all your hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And I just got to pause right there because that is a remarkable observation and requires some sense of the context. Saul is one of the people that killed Stephen, the disciple that is mentioned at the start of this text. Saul is one of the individuals who actually held the coats of those who picked up rocks and bludgeoned Stephen to death. But Paul, or Saul as we know him at this point, has caught a vision of the Lord Jesus and has turned his life over to the Lordship of Christ and is on a journey of spiritual growth. And Barnabas, unlike many who would reject Saul as ever a candidate for anything other than condemnation given his past history, Barnabas sees in Saul tremendous potential, the kind of potential God sees in in all of us, I think. 
that, that, that Saul's life could become something which more than made up for all of the wrongs he had done and could bring great glory to God. And as you know, Saul will go on to become the Apostle Paul, the greatest champion of the life of the church and the gospel of Jesus in history. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church there and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians. Up to this point, they were simply known as followers of the Nazarene or of the way. At this point, they are named Christians, which literally means little Christs. There's enough about the person of these disciples that reminds people of Jesus that now they're referred to as little Christs. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And the editor here adds in parentheses, this happened, this actually happened, this was not just a guesswork, this happened during the reign of Claudius. And the disciples, as each one was able decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I love this passage of Scripture. I, I, I love it for several reasons. First of all, because it does such a wonderful job of picturing how faithful to the mission of Jesus Christ the early church was. Uh, faithfulness is a word which by its very nature implies a context. Faithfulness is almost always surrounded by difficulty. In other words, uh, when we comment about someone's faithfulness, what we really mean is is we're commenting on their perseverance, on their willingness to, to stay strong, to keep going in the spite of the circumstances of their life. And the circumstances of the life of the early Christians at this particular point are not easy ones. Uh, one of their own uh, servants, their brother Stephen, a, a luminous follower of Jesus Christ himself, has just been lynched in front of their eyes. And Stephen's lynching is just the one representation of a more widespread persecution that the early church is undergoing. Uh, some of them are losing their jobs for being followers of Jesus. Some of them are being denied employment. They're uh, being uh, criticized as, as followers of some kind of a weird heretical sect. Uh, they're, they're, they're being uh, physically uh, attacked. They are, they're being imprisoned in some cases and that, as we see with Stephen, actually killed. And yet, even in spite of this context, the disciples keep traveling and the text says, spreading the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, they are so loyal to the great commission that Jesus has given them. 
Jesus, you recall, had gathered just a few of them and said, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. I want you to invite everyone you possibly can touch to enter into the circle of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want you to teach them everything I've taught you. I want to see this whole world become part of the family of the Heavenly Father. And Jesus had ascended into heaven and left these disciples behind. And you could imagine how they looked at each other with just panic on their faces thinking, how in the world are, th- are we, this little band of people, ever going to be able to stand up against the massive engines of the Roman Empire? And yet they were faithful to the mission. They continued to spread the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ even in the face of tremendous, relentless opposition. In other words, if a gunman had walked into the assembly where they were worshiping one Sunday and started firing around, the very next week, this group of people, I promise you, would be back together again. The remnant would be back together again, grieving, but carrying on the mission of presenting a gospel of hope for the forgiveness of sins and the renewal of human personhood and the recreation of the world. They would carry that gospel no matter what. The early church was that determined in their faithfulness. That's why I love this passage. It just gives us a hint of this. I love this story, secondly, because it displays disciples who were also faithful with their gifts. They didn't just talk about the mission. They sacrificed for the mission. They gave of themselves for that mission. And so in this particular passage, we're given Yet one more instance of the early church taking up an offering. We've seen lots of this over the course of the study we've done in the book of Acts. Generosity is a way of life for these people. Why? Because they have seen God's generosity. They have been overwhelmed with awe before the generosity of Jesus in giving up his life for the sake of others. And now they're people like this themselves And the text explicitly says that they gave as each one was able. Not everybody could give in the same way. Not everybody could give the same amount. But each gave as they were able, sending their gift to the elders. And one of the most recurrent themes of this entire book, and not just this book, but you'll see the life of the early church, as Eric reminded us, is is marked by these followers who plead for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints through the giving of their gifts, their time, their talent, their treasure. And then finally, and most of all, I love this story because of the way it displays something of the impact that this kind of faithfulness had. Their faithfulness led to flourishing for many, many people who would not have had it otherwise. Just twice in this particular text, we're told that a great number of people were brought believed, and turned to the Lord. But reports like this are all over the book of Acts in reality. In the company of Christians, people found forgiveness for their sins. They found power and direction for their daily living. They found a community of love to do their daily life with. They found an avenue for helping uh, be about the work of hope in the wider world. They found the assurance of life beyond this 
the grave that gave them courage to face whatever came their way in life. And that blessed circle just kept expanding. It kept taking more territory. It kept enfolding more people into it. It would, within 300 years, overturn the Roman Empire. Do you understand that? There were just a few of them at the beginning, and they overturned the entirety of the civilization of their time and set in motion a movement of healing and hope that would build hospitals and universities and extend human rights and give us much of the good we now enjoy and are now letting go of because we are no longer recognizing its roots. This is the story of the mission of the early church and how their faithfulness led to flourishing for so many. And I hope it has not passed your notice that this is the same mission that you and I are on. This is the exact same mission that Christ's church is all about. We are trying to extend the circle. We believe that by proliferating healthy, biblically grounded, outreach-oriented churches, we are going to help until Jesus comes again in the process of redeeming more and more individual lives and more and more of the life of our whole society in general. We think this is very important to America right now. We, we think it's more important than what is going on at the highest level of politics and economics. As significant as that is, we think that the spiritual renewal of the people is the greatest priority of our time. And so we're faithful to that mission. To refresh all of us, that's what Take Root in its deepest sense has been all about. For, to inform those of you who are just joining us this morning, we want you to know what Take Root is really all about. First of all, we have been committed to uh, investing approximately $19 million over a two-year period to, to, to simply continue well, the ministries of worship, growth, and service, the, the core ministry or mission outreach of our church and media outreach of our church, that's what it costs over a two-year period, about $19 million. We put that first. That's the first part of Take Root. That's the foundation of Take Root to continue this good work that we have been doing. But we've also committed approximately $3 million more over this period of time to underwrite a, a several exciting new outreach ministries of our church, uh, things that we were not doing before this campaign began. Uh, so, for example, we're uh, planting a new branch of Christ Church in Downers Grove, uh, led by Pastor Eric Camfield. We have a new branch we're calling Christ Church Esplanade. And that branch will begin early in this coming year. It's going to be an outreach to its community. There are within 10 minutes of that church 300,000 people that do not go to church of any kind regularly, do not have a community of faith with whom they're doing life. And our passion is to reach many of those people and to draw them into the life-giving circle of a local church. And we hope that that group will then help us to reach tens of thousands of more people. We're also trying to change the quality of life in a pocket of suburbanized poverty along what we've been calling the Roosevelt Road. It's a part of unincorporated 
uh, Oak Brook Terrace and a portion of Villa Park and of Lombard. We're going into this community that is under-resourced in so many ways in trying to build resourceful relationships. Our former domestic mission director, Felicia Thompson, is relocating there full-time in this coming year. She's going to be coordinating and expanding uh, engagement with this community under an umbrella organization we're calling Resilient. And Resilient will be the, the, just the overarching uh, coordinating influence for all kinds of life-giving ministry, some of which are already in motion now. For example, we've got an amazing uh, tutoring and mentoring ministry that is happening in three different schools there. There's a group of women who have started uh, Spanish-English Spanish conversation classes with uh, women there, many of whom speak no English when they started, who, all of whom had no jobs. And the women in this little fellowship have now got jobs and are now speaking English, which increases their probability of being successful in this society. And the women who started that ministry are now doing it again with another group of women and hope to extend that circle further out to help more people flourish. There's a, there's a Friday night fellowship for at-risk youth that we're getting behind. There's a vision we have for starting a small business in that community that will provide employment and training opportunities for young people. I talked to somebody today who said, I, I, I'm a job skills trainer. Count me in. I want to help with that. I want to be involved in helping people flourish. Through Take Root, we're also making a similar kind of investment in two under-resourced schools in Kenya. For years, we've been supporting some mission partners in that part of the world, but now we're going even deeper. We're investing hundreds of thousands of dollars more to try and help two schools. One of those schools is in the Mathari Valley in Nairobi. I've been there. It is the closest thing to hell that I can even imagine. There are 600,000 people living in tin and cardboard shacks. The average one of these shacks is about 10 feet square, and there are like 8 to 10 people living in a lot of these places, in these, in these little shacks. 8 to 10 human beings on dirt floors with sewage running through the streets. That little school in that neighborhood is the passageway up and out for kids in that community. If they can get an education, if they can get a vision of the possibility of life that's more and be equipped for that, it could change things for them and then they would reach back into that community and help change things for others. So we're investing in that school in a really significant way. We're paying for classroom repairs. We're sponsoring a program to increase teacher retention. We're underwriting a microfinance program that will help uh, families pay for school fees. And out in a rural area outside of Nairobi, we're doing something very similar with another one of our mission partners in a different school there. And in that case, we're, we're helping to build a library, a science lab, additional classrooms, a dining hall, a computer resource room so that kids can prepare themselves for college and meaningful work. We're funding teacher training. We're supplying books and Bibles for daily use. And lives are slowly improving. And they're going to improve a whole lot more as we continue to invest there in the months and the years to come. This kind of life change, this kind of life change is our passion at Christ Church. 
I, I run into people all the time as I go around, oh, you're the pastor of that church. I've heard of that church. That's a great church. I've seen how big your parking lot is. I said, you should see how big the heart of the church is. Because that parking lot isn't even close to the heart of this church. You should see how big the vision of this congregation is for, for, for helping and extending the gospel, the good news, into all the world. That's the impressive thing about Christ's church. And we have a commitment to keep doing this kind of work, to being that kind of church, long after Take Root is over. I mean, Take Root is simply a staging ground for the continuing movement of grace that we envision in the decades to come. And that's why one of the pieces of Take Root is a reinvestment actually in this place. We're reinvesting in the capacity of this local church to remain vital for long-term influence. I don't know if you've noticed, but we're building a new building out here. And, 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 that, and that expansion of our, of our building is going to increase our capacity to host uh, people in worship, to, to be a sponsor of leadership conferences. It's going to reopen our fellowship hall on Sundays for uh, adult education and equipping classes of various kinds. It's going gonna, it's gonna to provide a additional capacity for many of our weekday ministries. It's going to help us stay vital for many, many years to come. And the renovations we're doing out there in the parking systems of our church, they're not done yet. We've got even better stuff coming there. Wait till there are trees. <laughs> but those are very purposeful too. Because what we're doing is preparing ourselves to continue to receive the thousands of people we believe God is going to continue to bring to this amazing community of faith where we can help them catch a vision for what God wants to do through them in their families, in their workplaces, and across this world. Sustaining a vital church here on this campus is the indispensable key to our continuing influence out there. We have a statue out in our narthex currently boxed up and protected during construction, but it is of a sower scattering the seed. God is going to continue to provide the life-giving seed. We are now working to strengthen the core muscles of that sower so that we can keep scattering that seed for decades and decades to come. We want to keep gathering communities of disciples who worship, grow, and serve so that we can keep going into all the world with the life-changing love of Jesus Christ as witnesses of that life-changing love. We inherited that mission. We did not create it. We inherited it from those who founded this church, but they did not create it. The whole story of Christ's church is the story of keeping faithful to the mission that Jesus gave to the church of Acts. I hope you sense how important that is. I hope you sense how critical it is in this day of all times. And I hope you have some joy in being part of it, as I do. You know, making this kind of life-changing impact is not an easy thing. Uh, sometimes newcomers arrive here and and it just seems like it's all just put on. <laughs> it just happens. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. It is a miracle of God's grace pouring through so many different people to make even one day of the ministry of this amazing church happen the way it does. 
And in that sense, we are very much as a church like that early church we read about in Acts. This is a church that is faithful with its gifts in, in really stunning kinds of ways. And, and, and shortly after we launched the sermon series, uh, Flourish, uh, I know you probably noticed that we were talking a fair amount about the topic of financial stewardship. And I know, because I've had conversations with a few of you, that that created some discomfort. We don't like to talk about money much. Uh, it actually created alarm for some people. Uh, people were thinking, wow, the church must be in really bad financial condition if Dan is out there ringing the money bell like this. I mean, the, the pledges must not be coming in to take root. There must be a really big problem. No. We are at 103% of where we hope to be right now. <laughs> and I cannot thank you enough for that, for your faithfulness. We are, in we are in the best financial shape we've ever been because of the faithfulness that you've been showing with your gifts. So why am I still talking about stewardship? Why, why do we keep reflecting? Why are we talking about commitments today? Well, the answer to this is really several fold. And, and one of the reasons is because stewardship is such a key theme in the teachings of Jesus and of the Bible and of the story of the church in the book of Acts. Jesus says that nothing reveals, nothing reforms the condition of our hearts like what we choose to do with our money. In fact, nearly half of his parables are about how we manage resources. Uh, Jesus teaches, or the Bible teaches, about five times more about managing resources than it does about prayer. Did you know that? Because, as Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And nothing so reveals and reforms somebody's heart as where their treasure is going. And so this is why it's critical. We don't talk much about it here at Christ Church, but we're talking about it in this season uh, because of that truth. The early church clearly got that. The second reason why we've hit on this theme of stewardship is because we would love to close the gap between the record-breaking $41 million in commitments and expected gifts that this congregation devoted to take root and the approximately $49 million that it's going to cost for us to complete all that we've envisioned, all that we feel God is calling us to do during this season. In other words, we want to have as small a debt load as possible at the end of these two years, and so we're still praying and asking for help. The third reason we're talking about all of this is because things have changed over the past year. Some things have changed. Circumstances have changed. And one of the circumstances that's changed is that there are a lot of people in the life of Christ Church that were not here a year ago. There, there are actually hundreds of people who were never, not even around for Take Root. And there were some of us that um, were around for Take Root, but we were distracted. We've got busy lives. We weren't all that tuned in. And now we've woken up to the fact this is really happening. Wow, this is really going forward. And there's this surge of interest now amongst the newcomers and amongst those who have sort of recently tuned in to be part of this incredible adventure. And so we're going to provide an opportunity today for those who are in that camp 
to join those of us who've already taken a step of faith and those new to this process are are being invited to fill out a 12-month commitment card to describe their total investment, hoped for a total investment in the life of Christ Church and its outreach during this next year. For others of us, what has changed in the past year is our stress level. Because I don't know if you've noticed it, but we've been getting these reports sent to our home. I think there have been four of them along the way. And they share all kinds of wonderful news about what our giving is making possible. And then they remind us what we actually wrote on that commitment card. And I looked at that number for the first time myself, and I went, wow, I committed that much? And this chill of fear goes down my back. And as I realized, that's a huge stretch for me. And it is, for Amy and for me, it is the biggest commitment we've ever made to anything beyond our mortgage and our college tuition in our entire lives. And I know we're not alone. Some of you are, 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 are looking at that number and thinking, Lord, how in the world am I ever going to get there? How am I going to keep that commitment? And you and, and, and I need a voice in our lives like Barnabas was to the believers at Antioch when he encouraged them all, the scripture says, to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Sometimes what we need when we're scared is just this encouragement to believe that if we remain true, God is gonna supply us with what we need. And so I wanna, I wanna really encourage you, I wanna be the Barnabas voice in your life to stay true, to finish strong, to trust God to supply the grace that you need to keep that commitment. And so when you get that card today, just, you're gonna write down the same number again. Or maybe if you can't remember the number, what the number was, you just write the word same. And that will be your way of just committing to finishing strong. It's also possible that, that the changes that have happened for some of you that I'm speaking with today have been mainly positive ones. Maybe you really took us at that invitation we gave a year ago and you chose to try and root your life more deeply in Christ for the sake of others. And you found to your amazement that God grew your faith. I mean, you became more excited than you were even at the beginning about all that you see going on in the life of our church and through the life of our church. And, and, and you want now to be an even greater part of it. And maybe God has actually increased your capacity during the past year or woken you up to the fact that, you know, you had a lot of unexplored capacity or untouched upon capacity. And now you want to make an even bigger difference with your gift. I had a guy come up to me after our evening service last night who said, I tripled my commitment today and he had tears in his eyes and they were not the bad kind of tears they were the wonderful kind of tears of somebody who realized he had capacity he had he had capacity in his pocket he wanted to see moving for the sake of others and so I want to encourage some of you who may be in that position I want to challenge you to to think about maybe even increasing your commitment and in so doing to enter into the joy that comes from those who prioritize the service of their master as Jesus reminds us. 
You know, at the end of the day, what I hope all of us will be thinking about most is the impact that our faithfulness has. I hope that we will remember that faithfulness leads to flourishing and that the investment we're making has got real people at the other end of it. It's got people who, who are going to find Christ and find hope and find help on this campus or at the Esplanade or in one of those schools that we're supporting out there that would never have founded if we hadn't been faithful with our gifts. And for me, it, it, it gets really personal when I think of an individual, a young girl I'm going to call Janae. I heard about her uh, just two weeks ago. Janae uh, showed up at a ministry we're sponsoring now in one of the Roosevelt Road schools that we call the Lunch Bunch. And we got this group of volunteers that come in at lunchtime and they sit there and they cover four different lunch periods and they simply make themselves available to any of the girls in that school that need a bigger sister, a, a, a surrogate mom, uh, somebody further along life's journey that can help them think through the stuff they're, they're facing. And a lot of these girls are facing some tough stuff in this particular neighborhood. And so these volunteers show up. And the first time this was offered, maybe 12 girls show up for the lunch bunch. And now maybe close to as many as 60 girls show up for the lunch bunch as the circle gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, one day, a girl named, as I've said, I'll call her Janae, showed up. And Janae sat around sort of the edges of the circle. And what Janae basically did was tremble. She, she didn't talk. She hardly looked up. She just shook. Because she had been through a lot of trauma in her life. I mean, unspeakably difficult things that thankfully you and I haven't had to go through or maybe we have gone through and we feel for Janae in this regard, but she just shook. But the hands and the heart of Jesus Christ reached out to that young woman through the, the Christ church people that were there. And they wrapped their arms around her and they made that place safe for her and Janae kept coming back and eventually Janae stopped shaking and Janae started talking and she started sharing the story of her life and receiving the help and the encouragement of these women, these resourceful relationships in her life and just like somebody that had been just turned in upon themselves and afraid, she suddenly began to open up like this flower just opening before the sun, the light and the warmth of the sun. And because of those relationships she's building, because of Take Root, Janae is now on the path to what we call flourishing. We dream of 10,000 Janae's and reaching them with the life-changing love of Jesus Christ. We are the Jesus people. We are the ones entrusted with the mission for our time. That's why we offer our gifts the way that we do. We are the ones who will carry the good news out into this world that needs good news. Now more than ever,
And as this video that we've put together now plays, I want to encourage every one of us to consider the part that we get to play in that movement of God's grace in our time. Let's watch together. Over this last year, God has been stretching and growing each of us. And I'm praying that he'll use this wonderful season as a time when we as a church family and each of us as individuals will root our lives more deeply in Christ for the sake of others. The Take Brook campaign was a chance for us to really think about what Christ Church has meant to us over the years and made us think about, well, what do we want to give back? One of the things that I love about Christ Church is how well it's run and how strong the leadership is. I really thought that this was a place where we could give our resources and we could see it really multiplied. We made this tight group commitment because we have grown so much through our time spent here at Christ Church and we want to see other people's lives flourish the ways that ours has flourished and, and grown and we feel so fortunate to have Christ Church in our life and want to be able to give that to others. We're as excited as we've ever been about the ministry that can grow into the greater suburban area of Chicago and even the world. Our lives are going to change as a result of this, which means it's going to touch our kids, which means it's going to touch all those generations to come. Like We are shaping families of the future because we choose to be generous now really came down to how large a commitment we're gonna make and was it gonna be uh, superficial or sacrificial? As we were making our formal pledge, at that point we looked at each other and said, you know, we should really double this. And that's what we did. And so I guess it proved that we weren't that sacrificial to begin with. Since we weren't really a part of Take Root, we didn't really make commitment at the beginning because we were brand new and didn't really know anything about the church. I think we need to, as a family, make a commitment and figure out what that looks like for us. As a new family, as a young family, it was very scary to part with our money. It came to a point where I had to give up and I had to trust that God was going to provide for us. With some trepidation, we stretch more than we ever have before, so that uh, even though I knew I was gonna be losing my paycheck for a while, we thought it was a good idea, and we were able to bump our commitment even a little bit more. I must admit, I woke up many times in the night wondering if we could keep our commitment, and every time the Lord just comforted me and, and let me know that the Lord is always with us, that God is with us, and the Lord will provide. We view Take Root as a, a way for us, Barb and I, to, to have a new beginning with God. And shortly after we started our journey back, we found out that Brian was really sick, was diagnosed with uh, stage four pancreatic cancer. I'm not sure how much time I have left and I want to do more while I'm here. And so it was never about doing less with my commitment. It was always in my mind about doing more. To create the space for, for people to come around others like they came around us, that's the exciting part for us. We don't know what God has planned, but we know that he has a role for us in this, and that if we step out in faith, if we can say, God, this is yours, and we want to be a part of this, that's our prayer is that we don't hold back. We're all in. I really wanted to feel that I was a part of the effort from the very beginning. And so 
What that led me to want to do was to go back to then the campaign started. It helped me to feel a part of this by going back to the very beginning and financially just coming forward to the present time. God has been so good to me. So the commitment I made tonight was much more than I expected to do, but I know he'll honor it. To think about now that we have the opportunity to be those people who are able to tell a story of generosity. Truly, we're just called to trust in him. We're investing in something that is eternal. He won't ask anything of you that he doesn't think that you can fulfill. And if you can't fulfill it, you don't ask him about that. And, and I think he will respond in some form or, or way. He will tell you uh, what you need to do. And, and that's, I think, the most important thing you can do is to pray to God about your commitment and what you want to do with it. You have to do what God is calling you to do today. It is all his anyway. Right.